Well, good morning. It's good to see you on this nice, brisk morning. Let's warm up ourselves by singing together. Won't you stand as we sing and rejoice and remember all the great things that God has done for us. Let's sing this great song. Sing with me. We will remember. We will remember. for 
Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning, church. It's good to see you all here this morning. Glad you have chosen to worship with us here this morning. And we would uh, certainly like to welcome any visitors that we might have. And if you are visiting with us, we would just simply ask that you would take a care card that's in the pew rack in front of you. Uh, get that and fill the information out and then put that in the offering. Well, we don't have offering plates anymore, so scratch that one. Uh, <laughs> sometimes you just get on autopilot and go right through it. So actually, you can give those care cards to me or Jonathan, or you can put those in the boxes that are on the round tables out in the foyer of the sanctuary. Also, if you would have a prayer request that you would like to mention, you can do so on the flip side of that card and turn it in the same way. Um, of course, it's me and Jonathan this morning. Um, Pastor Seeger is out today with his family. His mother did pass away uh, Wednesday, and they had a, a family viewing. Scott, did, did I sit Man, I tell you what, we're starting out real good this morning. <laughs> Let's just go home. You ready? <laughs> Y'all shouldn't amen that now. Come on. Uh, rewind. Here we go. Thank you, Charles. Pastor Scott. His mother did pass away. Uh, huh? Uh, let us pray. Yeah. Um, um, but actually, she did pass away Wednesday. They had a, a family viewing earlier this week, and uh, they have a private graveside funeral today in South Carolina. Um, he said that he really wished that it wasn't that way, but that he, his dad and his mom, before she passed away, talked about it, and that's the way they decided that they wanted to do things. So I know that Pastor Scott and Connie and the rest of the family uh, would appreciate your prayers and your thoughts and concerns, cards, whatever, for them during this time. So uh, let's remember Scott and his family. And also remember Kevin Seeger, who's at Snowbird uh, this weekend with the college group. And so be praying for them as they come home today. Uh, I'm sure they, that they've had a great weekend at Snowbird. So just remember them uh, as they're coming home. Uh, and with that said, there's not going to be any uh, epic ministry tonight. I'm sure they will all be good and tired. So remember them as well. A couple other announcements for us this morning. Um, the Alaska adult mission trips are on the calendar. And uh, actually applications have gone out. And those applications are due February the 6th. So it's still open and uh, with that said, uh, there's going to be an interest meeting this coming Wednesday at, six, at 8 o'clock in the cafe. So if you're interested in participating uh, in one of the Alaska mission trips, uh, come to that meeting. Uh, I'm sure you'll get all the information there that you'll need for that. Um, our men's league, a huge outreach that's getting ready to start up. Uh, actually, uh, the last day to sign up for that, that's our basketball league. Uh, last day to sign up is today. And uh, we draft our teams tomorrow night, and then we start play uh, the following Monday. So just be in prayer for this league as we have many, many visitors. And uh, our, our main goal and our main deal for this is to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus. And we do that at the halftime of the games. We share the message of the gospel. So be in prayer for that. It's going to be a, a great league. 
Um, also coming up in March, March 18th through the 20th, is our family retreat at Teen Valley Ranch. Uh, this is a great time for families to get away, to worship together, to go to sessions together, eat good food together, uh, recreate together. Um, they have things like horseback riding and archery. Um, they have a zip line, a putt-putt, hiking, rappelling. They have all of these things. It's just good for families to get away with one another and retreat together. Um, so uh, that is, again, March 18th through the 20th, and the deposit of $50 is due by the 13th. And if you grab one of these little uh, information packets or uh, sheets of paper, on the reverse side of it is a place that you can reserve your spot. You just check what you want to do and tear that off and either give that to me or Amy Alley. So we look forward to your participation in that. Next Sunday at 5, an uh, important day for our, our committees. That will be our initial committee meetings next Sunday. So uh, be looking for that coming up next Sunday. Uh, and then also uh, our ladies' Bible study that's entitled, It All Began with the, the Word. Uh, and it's a video series led by Jen Wilkin. Uh, so our ladies' Bible study will begin this Thursday. Uh, you can either come to the 10 o'clock morning session or the 6.30 evening session. The cost is $15 for your workbook, and um, you can sign up in the lobby. So, ladies, we look forward to you being involved in that. And then last day, today is the last day uh, to give to Lottie Moon. You guys, again, just went over the top, and we thank you for your generosity. We're over $105,000 for our Lottie Moon uh, Christmas offering, so praise the Lord for that. Let's still our hearts now and go before the Father and pray to him. Father, we come to you this morning, and we indeed thank you for your presence in our life. God, we thank you that you looked beyond our faults, and you saw our need, and you gave us your Son to die for our sin. The greatest need that any of us have is to know that our sins have been forgiven, and you have provided the way for that to happen. Lord, I pray this morning that you would allow us to hear from you through the singing and through the preaching of your word. God, we ask that you would speak to our hearts in a way that would mold us and make us and change us for your good and for your glory. God, we need you. We confess that we are a needy people. Lord, there are still many folks who are hurting and suffering from sickness. Lord, we pray that you would bless them with healing in their bodies. And Lord, we pray for, especially this morning, Pastor Scott and his family and the passing of his mother. Lord, we thank you that she knew you. And Father, that she sees by sight right now what we can only see by faith. But Lord, I know that that still leaves the family with grief. But we know and thank you, Lord, that we do not have to grieve without hope. Because our hope is in the Lord Jesus. And Father, I pray that they know that beyond a shadow of a doubt. And that you would comfort them with your presence and your peace as only you can. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity that our college students had to get away at Snowbird this weekend for their retreat. And we pray that you continue to use that retreat to speak to their lives. Keep them safe as they travel home this day. Lord, we love you. We pray that you're honored in this service. Thank you for loving us. I pray 
these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it and is gone. And its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. And his righteousness to children's children. To those who keep his covenant and remember to do his command. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Would you stand with me and do just that? Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul. like never before, oh my soul, I'll worship your holy name. The sun comes up, it's a new day on it's time to sing your song again, whatever Bless the Lord. 
Everlasting 
Let's hope this starts a little better than the announcements. <laughs> if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I invite you to turn to the book of 1 John. We'll be reading the first chapter of 1 John. So, uh, I owe Joyce Seeger an apology. I was about to plan her funeral right, <laughs> right in front of her. Thankful that she's still with us. As you find your place in the scriptures, just wanted to share a quick story with you. Generally, things at the night house at nighttime are very routine. These things pretty much happen every night. Molly goes to bed first, Jay goes to bed second, I go to bed third, and Caroline goes to bed last. So as Molly gets in the bed, I find my way to the upstairs den. It's where the TV is. I call it my decompression room. It's where I yell at the TV when the Tar Hills and the Mountaineers are losing. But Jay will come in after Molly has gone to bed, and he will just simply say, good night, love you, see you in the morning. And I'll say the same thing back to him, good night, love you, see you in the morning. And you're like, what in the world is that? It's good night, I love you, see you in the morning. Happens like clockwork. Caroline is a little different because usually between Jay and Caroline going to bed, I fall asleep because I've got to have my nap before I go to bed, right? <laughs> Everybody's got to have their nap before they go to bed. And so here I am, I'm reclined in the recliner, dead to the world. And Caroline, on occasion, will come in and she will say, Daddy, Daddy, hurry up. We got to go. We got to go. And I fumble up out of the recliner. I'm like, okay, where are we going? Where are we going? <laughs> Not having a clue in the world what's going on, unsure of what's going on. The other night, she came in, and this is this sweet, innocent little Caroline, you know. She came in, and she said, Daddy, it's for you. It's the phone. It's the phone. And she hands me the TV remote, and I'm like, hello? Hello? <laughs> Unsure 
what in the world is going on at that moment? You know, there are many things in life that we can be unsure of and be okay. But there's one thing that we need to know for certain and have the full assurance of. And that's our salvation. That's our fellowship with the Lord Jesus. So how do we know that we have genuine fellowship with the Lord? Basically, this is what the book of 1 John is about. Having full assurance of our salvation and knowing for sure that our fellowship with him is genuine and that we truly know him. This is too important to leave to a guessing game. It would be such a tragedy for someone to live their whole life thinking that they belong to the Lord and hear him say on that day, depart from me for I never knew you. But you know what? John is so good. He tells us that we can know for sure that we belong to the Lord Jesus. He writes about it in chapter 5, verse 13. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And these things that John is talking about, he has discussed in the previous four chapters. So some of the things, if these things are present in our life, these are assurances of our salvation. Do we confess our sin? Are we obedient to the Lord's commands? Do we confess that the Lord Jesus came in the flesh and died on the cross for our sins and physically rose from the grave? If we confess that, we can, we can rest assured that is an assurance of our salvation and our fellowship with him. Do we love other believers? Again, an assurance that we have in knowing the Lord Jesus. I know that these are big blocks, and John goes into detail on all of these in his book. And if these are present in our life, we have the assurance of salvation salvation that leads to a genuine fellowship with the Father, that leads to a desire for right doctrine, that leads to a desire for obedient living, and that leads to a desire for fervent devotion to know Him more. I want us to explore this morning the question, does that describe who we are? So in the time that we have this morning, we're going to read 1 John chapter 1 and examine these issues. Now, I will say that not having a whole lot of time to prepare for this message, it will probably lead to a shorter sermon than what you're used to on Sunday mornings. Matter of fact, I saw George Tucker, first thing he says, hey, Kevin, keep it short. I'm like, okay. <laughs> or I could say, you know what, this is going to last 20 minutes, and then you know exactly what this means. Anytime that we get in the vehicle and get ready to go somewhere, whether it's four hours away, whether it's 10 minutes away, whether it's across the country, Kevin, how long till we get there? 20 minutes. It's just 20 minutes. And so, are we ready for a 20-minute message? All right. Would you stand, please, as we read 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 10 together. John writes, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. 
The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and which was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we've not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Father, we come to you this morning and we thank you for the truth of your word. Father, thank you that it penetrates our very being, and it helps us examine who we really are. So God, I pray that we are able to do that this morning, that we're able to step back, do some self-evaluation, and see where we are with you. God, we thank you for the salvation that you provide for us through Jesus Christ. And it is my hope and prayer that every person in this room already has a relationship with you through Christ. But Lord, if there is just one within the sound of my voice that knows you not, that does not have the free pardon of sin, I pray, Father, that through the power of your Holy Spirit, you convict them of their sin and let them see that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. Lord, we love you. Bless our time of study together, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the, the first thing as we examine this passage of Scripture that I want us to see this morning is this. I don't have bullet points up on the screen, so I'll repeat points if you want to jot them down. So the first thing is this. The assurance of our faith and genuine fellowship with God is strengthened by how well we know Him. Say that again. The assurance of our faith and genuine fellowship with God is strengthened by how well we know him. Look at verses 1 through 3 again. He explains this. He says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we've seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us, that which we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also. Although 1 John, the book of 1 John, is a book that is given to his readers to discuss the assurances of salvation and fellowship with the Lord Jesus, it's also his response to the Gnostics. The Gnostics, their teaching was infiltrating the early church. Now, we don't have... Uh, enough time to go over what the, all the Gnostics believed, but some of the arguments they espoused were simply that Jesus did not come in the flesh, 
and that he wasn't really human and he didn't die and he didn't resurrect. And they argued that Jesus was simply a divine spirit that appeared to men in the shape of a human, but not someone in a true physical body. These were the teachings that were going around in the early church by the Gnostics. And John is refuting this teaching. And he starts by saying that Jesus did come in the flesh. I saw him. I heard him. I even touched him. 1 John 1.4, 4, uh, 1 John 4.3 says this, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and is now in the world already. So John, knowing that his readers would have more than likely heard these heresies from the Gnostics, begins his chapter by telling them, his readers, just how close he was to the Lord Jesus and that he knew the Lord Jesus. He was in his physical presence. John knew him intimately and personally and desired his readers to know him intimately and personally. It's safe to say that John had a unique, genuine fellowship with the Lord. And that's what he's wanting us to have. He wants us to, as his readers, to know and have that blessed assurance that Jesus is mine. And that we have genuine fellowship with him. Think about, though, just for a second, what John actually saw. We don't have enough books in the whole world to, to uh, describe to us everything that John saw about Jesus. But think about some of the things that John saw that he even recorded later in his gospel. In John chapter 2, he records that he saw Jesus turn the water into wine. He was in a position to see Jesus turn the water into wine. Then in John chapter 4... He sees Jesus heal the Gentile centurion's son. Again, he was in a position to see this. And then he saw in John 6 or John 5 that the man at the pool of Bethsaida was healed. In John chapter 6, he saw Jesus feed the 5,000. In John chapter 6, he also sees Jesus walk on the water. In John chapter 8, he saw Jesus forgive the woman caught in adultery. And in John chapter 9, he saw the Lord give sight to one who had never seen before. And in John 11, he saw Jesus bring back to life one of his good friends, Lazarus. Brought him back to life. And you've got to think in your mind, all of these things that John is seeing, this must be blowing his mind. All of these miracles that he is actually physically seeing with his eyes. And then later on in John's gospel and all the other gospels, he sees the Lord crucified. He sees him spat upon. He sees them put the crown of thorns upon his head. He sees them whip and scourge him. He sees him carry his cross up Golgotha. He sees them drive the spikes in his hands and in his feet. And he see, sees the Lord Jesus die. He sees that. 
praise God, he also sees in John chapter 20, the resurrected Lord Jesus in a physical body. He saw it. Think about some of the things that John heard that he records in his gospel. He heard Jesus say, I am the bread of life. He heard Jesus say, I am the light of the world. He heard Jesus say, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one can come to the Father except by me. These are the very words of the Lord Jesus that John heard, that, was in, that John was in a position to hear. He heard the Lord Jesus say, I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. And he heard him say, I am the true vine. He saw him. He heard him. Saw him with his physical eyes. Heard him with his physical ears. But think about what John recorded in John chapter 13. That he touched the Lord Jesus. That the King of kings and the Lord of lords would rise from the Last Supper and take a basin of water and a towel and come to John and wash his feet. He felt that. What incredible fellowship that John had with the Lord Jesus. I really believe that he heard these things. I really believe that he saw these things. He's telling his readers, I've seen it, I've seen it, I've heard it. Now, I know you're probably thinking, yes, John did see these things. I don't doubt that. I don't doubt he saw these things with his eyes. I don't doubt he heard these things with his ears. I don't doubt that he touched the Lord Jesus. But how can this help me experience him? A couple of things. First, what John saw by sight, we must see by faith. What John saw by sight, we must see by faith. The writer of Hebrews says this in chapter 11, verse 6. And without faith, it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Simply put, we walk by faith and not by sight. Now, I'm going to get a little nerdy with you this morning, if that's okay. Our faith is just that. It's faith. It's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. But just because it's by faith doesn't mean that it's a blind faith. In other words, we have good reason to have faith. Our faith is not unreasonable. Matter of fact, it takes more faith to be an atheist or to believe that everything came from nothing. It takes more faith to believe that than it does to believe the very things that John recorded in 1 John or in his gospel or anything else ever written in the Bible. It takes more faith to believe in nothing. On Wednesday nights in youth group, we have what we call a hot topic moment. And in that hot topic moment, we've been discussing some apologetics. 
And these apologetics, I tell the students, is listen, your faith is not unreasonable. Matter of fact, it's, it's very reasonable. It, we have good reason to believe what we believe. And here's why. Here's where we get a little nerdy. I hope you're okay with it. We've talked about, for example, the cosmological argument. Like, what in the world is the cosmological argument? Now, we can't explain everything that there is to know about all of these things that I'm going to talk about here just briefly. But I hope it piques your interest to go study them out as well. But we have good reason to believe in God and what's in the Bible simply because of the cosmological argument. And the cosmological argument simply states this, that whatever began to exist must have a cause. The universe began to exist, therefore the universe has a cause. And that cause is outside of time and space and matter. Another good reason for us to have faith is the fine-tuning argument of the universe that states that there are over 100 constants that exist on a razor's edge that sustain earth and life on it. Think about that just for a second. Just, just maybe two, for example. If, if the gravitational pull was off one way or the other, we couldn't exist. Who did that? Who put that into motion? Or if, we, if the earth was this much closer to the sun, we would burn up. Or if the earth was this much further away from the sun, we would freeze to death. Who did that? The Lord did it because the fine-tuning argument says if the earth is fine-tuned, there must be someone who fine-tuned it. Take, for example, the information that's written on our DNA. Now, I'm not smart enough to know all the information that's written on DNA, but it's incredible. It's an incredible amount of information that's coded on our DNA. Who wrote all that information there? It's like the author of a book, if there's information in a book, there's an author who put that information in there. If there's an author of someone who wrote all that information on our DNA, who put that there? Our faith is not unreasonable. It's reasonable. Then you have the moral argument that says if there are moral objectives, moral values, then God must exist. So we know that there are moral objective values, therefore God must exist. Okay, the nerdy time is about over. Just one more. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Over 500 people. Over 500 people saw the resurrected Jesus. And then just the validity of scriptures that is proven by uh, prophecy, that is proven by archaeological evidences, that is proven by early dating. You have all of these things that we can consider that help strengthen our faith. It's not our faith, but it helps strengthen our faith. We could go on and on, but the fact still remains that we must come to God by faith, but it makes good sense to come to him. It's logical to believe that what John saw was true. Very logical to believe that what he saw and heard and felt was true. The stronger our faith, the greater our assurance and fellowship with God is. So to come to God and believe the things that John is teaching us, we must believe by faith that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Secondly, 
we must put ourselves in a position for our fellowship with the Lord to grow. We must put ourselves in position in order to see our fellowship with the Lord grow. It's obvious that John was in a physical position to hear him and to see him and to behold him. He couldn't have followed at a distance and experienced these things. He was in the right position. Question for us. Are we putting ourselves in the right positions to see him, to hear him, and to have fellowship with him? You know, we often put ourselves in the right position to succeed at work. We often put ourselves in the right position to succeed at school. We often put ourselves in the right position to succeed athletically. And you can fill in the blank. But do we really put ourselves in the right position to have fellowship with our Creator? We must get ourselves in the right position. It's hard to believe. I told Caroline I only had one story about her. I lied. It's two. This one involves your mom, too. So um, it's hard to believe she's getting married in a few weeks. I know I don't look that old, do I? I mean, it's crazy. But I remember when she was born. Now, being on a church staff and having your first baby, it's like a church event. You know, it's like, hey, we're going to bring the fried chicken and the potato salad. Molly's fixing to have her baby. Let's go, you know. No lie. I mean, uh, we had people come into our birthing room. We had youth bring their sleeping bags, and they were camped out outside the birthing room and in the waiting room, ready for this big moment that Caroline's going to be born. And the room gets a little bit more comfortably full. We even had one lady who was the play-by-play announcer at the contraction monitor. She was like, hey, look at this. Here comes another one. Here comes another one. I was across the room, and um, I'm sure Molly was trying to drop me subtle hints, like, it's time for them to leave. It's time for them to go home. Of course, me being aware, had no clue, right? I was just entertaining the rest of the crowd that was there. But then she politely calls me over to the bedside and says, Kevin, honey, just in her sweet voice, will you, will you take me to the bathroom? Oh, yes, dear. Yes, yes, let's go. And so I get that little thing that you got a wheel, and, and we go to the bathroom, and, and we shut the door, and she looks at me, and she goes, get them out. <laughs> yes, ma'am. I opened the door, said, y'all, y'all got to leave. As nice as I could say it. We're fixing to have a baby. Y'all got to leave. Too stupid enough to hear the subtle hints that she was dropping to me, right? I had to get in her presence. Just her. I could see her. I could hear her. And thankfully, I didn't get to feel her. (laughs) But I was put in a position to where I had nothing else to hear and nothing else to see and nothing else to feel but the message of my wife that she had for me. I really believe that when we put ourselves in a position to see and experience the Lord, 
He will reward us. That's his promise. He's the one that said, I will reward you if you diligently seek me. Those are the words of God. Yes, the author of Hebrews penned those, but the author of the Bible, God said, I will reward you if you diligently seek me. And to diligently seek me, you've got to put yourself in the right position to hear me, to see me, and to feel me. Are we in the right position? Before we move on to point two, and you're like, point two, haven't you had already eight points already? Yes, but the main point two, and it's a little shorter than the first point. But before we move on to that, I want us to see something that could be easily overlooked. It really is and should be the focal point of this passage and all of the Bible, the entire Bible. And it's found in verse 2, two times. But quoting verse 2a, the life was made manifest. John was able to see and hear and feel and sense and know the presence of the Lord Jesus because the Lord Jesus made himself known to us and manifested himself to us. You think about how wonderful that is. The life that was from the beginning, as stated in verse 1, was made manifest. And as other translations state it, it was revealed to us. The king of the universe, the God of all creation, the one who put the stars into motion and he named them. The one who said, ocean, you can only come so far. Mountains, you can only go so high. Valleys, you can only go so deep. The God of the universe who was perfectly, perfectly perfect in himself chose to manifest himself to us so that we might, so that John, so that anybody who wants to can have fellowship with him. Can I ask you this morning, is there anything more important? So thankful that he knew Kevin Knight was going to mess up. And he provided the way. Not a way, the way that I could have fellowship with him. Secondly, our fellowship with the Lord is validated by walking in the light. It's strengthened by knowing him through faith. It's validated by walking in the light. Verses 5 through 7 of our text says, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. So our fellowship with the Lord is validated by walking in the light. 
We have such fun at our youth lock-in, and you've heard me say time and time again and make reference to our youth lock-in, but one of the highlights of the youth lock-in is to play this game called Underground Church. And those of you who have chaperoned and those of you who have been know what Underground Church is. Basically, it's a game that pits the, the youth against the adults. The youth's objective is to find the church that is hidden and then find the two Bibles that are hidden, and these are hidden all over the campus, and put those Bibles in the same room where the church is identified by a cross. And then they've got to get their pastor, the one who they deem their pastor is, in that same room, along with maybe 20, 25 other youth. If they do that, they win the game. The, the adult's job, I call them the KGB, Kevin's good boys, our job is to stop them from doing that. We simply go and we tag them and we take them to jail. But what makes this game so much fun is this. All the lights are out. It's dark. And I'm really not playing the game. Nor is Darren Johnson. All we're doing is hiding around a corner or actually just sitting out in open view waiting for some youth, some teenager to come up to him and you jump out at them and you scare them half to death. <laughs> we were, this last lock-in, we were in the nursery. You know the nursery's moved. It's down in the, in the core now. And he was in rocking chair, one rocking chair and I was in another. It's about 4 o'clock in the morning and we sat there and we watched youth after youth come into that room have no idea that we were there. And we would scream at them, and they would scream back. Jenna Hornby got so frightened, she hit the floor. <laughs> what would make that game easier, of course, is simply turning on the lights. Turning on the lights. How many times do we choose to walk in darkness? And not simply just turn on the light. Three things I think John describes to us here that help us walk in the light. The first one, to walk in the light, we must walk according to God's word and be obedient to what it says. That's turning on the light. John MacArthur says, the light represents the truth of God as embodied by his word. Church, we can't say that we desire fellowship with the Lord and ignore his word. And I would dare say that we can't say we desire fellowship with the Lord when the only time that we study the word is when we come to church. Is that really walking in the light? Listen to what the psalmist says in Psalm 119. It says, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart, I will seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips, I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Click. Turn the lights on. The psalmist goes on to say in verse 105, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. 
Then he says in verse 130, the unfolding of your word gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. Click. Turn the lights on. Just in these few verses, we see the psalmist say this, that the word is what helps us fight against sin. The word is what guards our heart. The word is what lights our way. The word is what gives us understanding. And then we see the response of the psalmist to all of these things that the word does. The light of God does. He says, then if that's the case, I'm going to seek after it. If that's the case, I'm not going to wander from it. If that's the case, I'm going to ask for understanding in it. If that's the case, I'm going to delight in it. Our faith is validated by turning on and walking in the light. When we do these things, we put ourselves in a position to fight sin. We put ourselves in a position to guard against the devil. We put ourselves in a position to walk in the light. And we put ourselves in a position to see him and to hear him and to feel him. My life verse is Joshua 1.8. It says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and have good success. This teaches me that I must read the word consistently. This teaches me that I must think about what I have read consistently. And this teaches me that I must do what the word has told me to do consistently. So if I read it, if I think it, if I do it, click, turning the lights on. Secondly, to walk in the light is realizing the certainty of sin in our life. Listen to verse 8 again. He says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. In his book, Respectable Sins, I would suggest you get that book, an incredible book on holiness by Jerry Bridges. He asserts that the idea of sin has all but disappeared from society and even crept into our churches. Now, this is going to be hard, but listen to what he says. This is what he says. We see that the entire concept of sin has virtually disappeared from our American culture at large and has been softened within many of our churches to accommodate modern sensibilities. He goes on to say, but what about our conservative evangelical churches? Has the idea of sin all but disappeared from us also? He says, no, it's not disappeared but it has in many instances been deflected to those outside our circles who commit flagrant sins such as abortion, homosexuality, and murder, or the notorious white-collar crimes of high-level corporate executives. It's easy for us to condemn those obvious sins while virtually ignoring our sins of gossip, pride, envy, bitterness, and lust, or even the lack of those gracious qualities that Paul calls the fruit of the Spirit. He says, on the whole, we appear to be more concerned about the sins of society than we are the sins of the saints. 
In fact, he continues, we often indulge in what I call respectable or even acceptable sins without any sense of sin. Our gossip or unkind words about a brother or a sister in Christ roll off our tongues without any awareness of wrongdoing. Man, I don't know about y'all. That's hard. He goes on to discuss such sins as anxiety and frustration and discontentment and unthankfulness and pride and selfishness and impatience, irritability and anger, judgmentalism and jealousy, lack of self-control. It goes on and on and on. And I'm thinking to myself, you look these words up. I'm guilty. I'm guilty. I think the most convicting one, though, that he talks about is just simply ungodliness. You know, oftentimes we think of ungodliness or ungodly living as, you know, well, I'm not committing adultery, I'm not killing anybody. We think of those big sins. And we say, well, we're not like that person as if that person is the standard of holiness other than the Lord Jesus. He says, ungodliness may be defined as living one's everyday life with little or no thought of God or God's will or God's glory or of one's dependence on God. You can readily see them that someone can lead a respectable life and still be ungodly in the same sense that God is essentially irrelevant in his or her life. He goes on to say the sad fact that many of us who are believers tend to live our daily lives with little or no thought of God. We may even read our Bibles and pray for a few minutes at the beginning of each day, but when we go into the day's activities and basically live as though God does not exist, we seldom think of our dependence on Him or our responsibility to Him. We might go on for hours with no thought of God at all. In that sense, we are hardly different from our nice, decent, unbelieving neighbor. God is not at all in His thoughts and seldom in ours. That's hard. And I know that that is really heavy. But the reality of it is this. Sin is sin. But walking in the light and being sensitive to that is what we're called to do. We can't just simply escape that and say, I, I don't have any sin. That's what John is saying here. He's saying, no, be sensitive to your sin. And when we are sensitive to our sin and we commit sin, he gives the answer of what we should do in the next verse. The conviction that we do feel over the reality of our sin should drive us to faith and repentance and walking in the light. Are we sensitive to sin? Lastly, this morning, walking in the light is realizing and embracing the glorious promise of the gospel. 1 John 1, 9. We, we know it. We've learned this verse in Awana. 
if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The word gospel means good news. But in order for good news, the good news must invade bad news. In order for the good news to be good news, the good news must invade and get into places that is bad news. I just explained to you the bad news. But this is the good news. For all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. Bad news. For the wages of sin is death. Bad news. But, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. That's not just good news. That's the best news for this boy right here. That's the gospel. You know, I had no idea that Jonathan was going to read what he read this morning, but this is part of my message as well. Psalm 103, 9 through 12. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love for those who fear him. As far as east is from west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Forgiveness, it's complete. Forgiveness, it's permanent. And forgiveness is ongoing. And it's based on the finished work of the Lord Jesus on the cross and his righteousness. Christian, we need his ongoing forgiveness. Not for salvation, but for fellowship. Do you desire to have that kind of fellowship with the Lord, but you know that you're struggling with some of those so-called acceptable sins? You know your fellowship with the Lord is not what it could be. You know you're not walking with the Lord. Then confess your sins, for he is faithful and just to forgive you. Forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't know him at all. You can't see him. You can't hear him. You can't feel him. You just don't know him at all because you don't have a relationship with him. You have never called out to the Lord Jesus for salvation. Well, this verse is for you. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The Bible says that if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we will be saved. And whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Do you know him? Is your faith strengthened by how well you know him? Is your faith validated by walking in the light? The invitation that we have is for all of us. My hope and my prayer is that as we sing together, you allow the Lord to do in your life what only he can do. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning and we thank you for 1 John chapter 1. We thank you that you indeed 
manifested yourself to us. You made yourself real to John and through faith, reading your word and knowing and understanding, we can have that relationship with you as well. We can see you. We can hear you. We can feel you. I pray, Lord, that we do business with you this morning, though. Help us to examine our lives to see if we are putting ourselves in a position to really hear you and see you. And Father, I pray too, Lord, that, that, that if we are struggling with those so-called acceptable sins, the sins that get overlooked oftentimes, but we know that are hindering our relationship and our fellowship with you, Lord, that we would just simply confess. And Father, for the one in here this morning that does not have a relationship, I pray that they know that you love them. And that you love them enough to provide the way of fellowship and salvation with you through the person and work of the Lord Jesus and his death on the cross. And I pray that they would call out to you this morning in this time of invitation. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.